What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Imagine this. A long weekend is a few weeks away. And once it comes, you think you might too. Finally, you think you'll have time for chilling out and what feels like overdue sexy play. But as the date moves closer, your work life and home responsibilities tug at you like a vacuum suctioning your energy away. If you can just get ahead of things you think by that long weekend, your sex life will feel renewed. But once that long weekend rolls around, sex has shifted from top of mind to the bottom of your I really wish I wanted to do list. You are exhausted and all you want to do is Nothing. Sound familiar? At least somewhat? There is, of course, nothing wrong with not desiring sex or not desiring it super often. The idea that everybody else is having constant, hot, wild sex all the time is pretty mythical. But as sex and relationship therapist Cindy Darnell pointed out here recently, Plenty of folks want to want sex more often, or at all, and desire is just not coming easy. I regularly hear from folks who are concerned about this, and more often than not, the problem goes deeper than their bedsheets. So today, I'm going to share five ways to increase your libido that, on the surface, might seem completely unrelated to sex. Number one, get more sleep. For years, I would have rolled my eyes at this advice. So if that's you, I get it. And I know that seven to eight hours of sleep each night isn't feasible for everyone. But even small changes in your sleep habits can go far. When we are low on sleep, everything from fatigue and low energy to cranky moods can make sex unappealing. Sleep loss also interferes with physical arousal and it's linked with erectile dysfunction. The National Sleep Foundation recommends these really helpful steps. Sleep in a dark, cool room, avoid those digital screens before bed, and stick to fairly routine sleeping and waking times. I can attest to those. I also use a face mask, AKA my face bra, and a white noise machine. Seriously, both have been life-changing. Active rest can also be helpful. If you're not a napper, things like listening to an audiobook or podcast with your eyes closed, for example, and if you have small kids, consider asking for more help with childcare or resting when your little one does. Yes, even if your house needs cleaning, etc. 
If you could still use more encouragement about the importance of rest as a birthright, I highly recommend the nap ministry on Instagram. Number two, tend to your mental health. A whole range of mental health challenges can make sex less interesting or appealing. Stress, anxiety, depression, all of these common issues can push naked romping of any kind to the bottom of that want-to-do list. In early 2020, I spoke with researcher and author Joellen Naughty about her own experience navigating depression and sex. We also talked about what she's learned from surveying lots of folks in a similar place. One thing she brought up was ways managing depression sometimes boosts libido or sex frequency for a few reasons. For one, when you feel better or your brain chemistry is more stable, you function better. Formerly pleasurable things that had lost your interest when you were really in the throes of depression might again appeal. But it can go the opposite way, too. So I know depression and medications Mm -hmm. affect people differently. Certainly, it sounds like the most common potential side effect may be a a drop in desire for sex. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other effects? So the polar opposite, which I didn't leave any space in my surveys for, I found out through the interviews, a whole bunch of people reported having more sex. Some of it, it was a side effect of medication. Some people were looking for validation, looking for comfort. And some people, it was part of not feeling in control, right? Mm. So that's not talked about a lot, but it's a thing. The big ones we hear about a lot are what I call the arousal ones. So difficulty with lubrication, difficulty with an erection, the orgasm ones, which are anorgasmia, inability to orgasm, or delayed orgasm, or it takes a long time, or my personal favorite, strange orgasm. I never heard of Clinical this term. This, right? <laughs> There's like not anything acknowledging it, but it came up over and over again in the survey and the interviews. One of the guys described it as like when you're driving a standard transmission and it doesn't quite go into gear right. And like, you know, you're driving and you know you're in the gear, but it's just not quite right. Ah, Unsatisfying was the other term people used for the orgasms. Interesting. So there was like a disconnect in being able to fully be present in it. Yeah. Somebody said she felt it in her head, but not her body. The other thing that we talked about in the book that I think doesn't get enough kind of airplay is sexual impulses, but no desire to act on them. So it gets lumped in with like low libido, but it's really depression can make everything feel way harder. Right. It's like I always say when I'm depressed, brushing my teeth is harder than college. So that feeling of like, oh, sex could be nice, but I don't want to take off my pants and I have to like make the bed and then and it just feels like another demand and too much. And so that's a big piece of the puzzle, too. And when we lump that in with low libido, it just goes along with like people saying, well, I have depression, so I don't have sex. Joellen also lives with anxiety, which affects desire. And as she sorted all these things out for herself and in researching and speaking to other folks, she landed on some important takeaways that I think can help us all, whether we are dealing with a mental health condition or not. My depression, because I'm really fortunate and I really go big when I do things, comes with raging anxiety too. And so I always feel like that that sexual break is like getting pressed by a million different issues all at once, and it's all just stress. And 
you know, I have to take a step back and look at that and see that that's impacting my desire and talk to my partner about how that's what's going on. So it sounds like when you started really speaking out about all these issues, you were very early in your own self-discovery around it. What do you remember learning early on? What were some of the first helpful messages you started to embrace or ideas you challenged that ended up helping you experience more pleasure? So what I noticed early on was that when people talked about this topic and it started getting more attention around 2014, right when I was like just doing the surveys because of all things, Robin Williams passed away. And people started writing about depression. I started seeing more things addressing sex and depression. And so many of them told people, you know what, just do it. Just have sex because you'll find you want to have sex. Get through that barrier. Just do it. And that made me, like, livid. (laughs) And so that was kind of one of the earliest things I looked at and said, we can't be telling people this. That led me down a whole trail that eventually led to what is, I would say, one of the big main points of my book which is that depression doesn't ruin our relationships and our sex lives. Resentment does. We don't know how to cope with mental illness entering our relationships. It's not a thing we're prepared for. And so we're not good at it. And then we end up resenting each other. And then, of course, we don't want to have sex anymore. What an important point. Resentment has, I feel like my friends and family are just kind of done with me and my resentment talk, but it's been at the core of my work for the last two years. Yeah, and also I think could be such a freeing message for people to learn about because if you are the person who has depression or any other mental illness or mental health issue and you think that that is what is causing all the problems, all the onus feels like it's on you. It shouldn't be, but it feels like it's on you. And to say, it's actually how we are maneuvering around this and with this. What do you say to somebody when they come to you? And because I'm sure you hear so many stories and real life experiences. (laughs) And they say, my depression is breaking my relationship or ruining our sex life. So something I talk about a lot and I tell people about a lot and gets a lot of enthusiastic nodding is this relationship dynamic I call broken and lucky. That like those of us with mental illnesses, chronic illnesses, end up feeling like we are broken, something is wrong with us, and we are so lucky that someone would want to be with us in spite of that. Not only is that a recipe for raging resentment because when one of you is broken... Then the other one is the de facto leader. They are right all the time. You're just going to build up all of that resentment. It also screws with your consent dynamic because can you ever really say yes or no if you feel like you owe them so much because you're so lucky they're there or Mm. you feel like, you know, you don't want to press that luck because when the luck runs out, right? So there are so many unhealthy ways that can go and so many of us fall directly into that dynamic. Wow. And also, I imagine it can impact your your standards. The value you have for yourself will then just, oh, well, this person's interested in me. Oh, wow. I'm so lucky. Mm-hmm. When that person might be really not a good fit for you or worse, harmful. One of the things I, over the last couple of years, started telling some friends when they talked about dating, and this is like for everybody in general, but it's applicable here is that a lot of folks, especially women, act like when we date, we are auditioning to see if someone else will accept us. And we don't 
give enough credit to the fact that we're trying to see if we have any interest in spending time with them, too. <laughs> I'm so feeling that, right? <laughs> like, I'm looking back at my life and going, oh, wow. You just described so many pages of many people's diaries. Oh, yeah, that was my 20s. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so when we start to look at it like that, and depression doesn't change that, illness doesn't change that, you're still auditioning people to see if you want them to be part of your life. So tending to your mental health and shifting your perspective, if you have felt like you are a problem, might also lead to more desire for sex by leading to more suitable partners. I don't know about you, but the idea of being with someone because I'm lucky enough that just anyone would want to be with me is not exactly a turn-on. It's also important to find quality support for navigating things like sexual side effects of medication. Could you share the most common thing you hear from people who are struggling in this department? I hear a lot of people saying like their doctors don't believe them or they're told that that's not a side effect of that drug, that can't happen that way. Or they get told, of course you don't want to have sex, you have depression. And those aren't helpful answers, and so they end up feeling alone and like there's nothing they can do. Is that something that you heard? Yeah, that's not a side effect of this medication was a, a big thing that I heard. And what really kind of woke me up to that was when I marched into that doctor's office and I said to him, I can't have an orgasm and this is unacceptable. And he said to me, thank you. Nobody tells us these things. And so the big book I take out and I tell you, oh, this says that that's not a side effect. He's like, that comes about from doctors reporting what their patients experience. And if their patients aren't telling us or if the doctor is not taking that on board as an important thing to report, it doesn't make it into the big book that tells you what's a side effect. So it's probably more prevalent than anyone realizes. I, yeah. There's a John Hopkins survey that said that between 15 and 75 percent of people on antidepressant medications, depending on the medication, had sexual side effects. In some cases, those side effects are temporary. But regardless, Finding a good fit as far as any medication you take or other treatments is so important for your sexuality and your whole life. If you have concerns about your libido while managing depression, talking about it all, and reading Joellen's first book, The Monster Under the Bed, Sex, Depression, and The Conversations We Aren't Having, may bring you some peace of mind and open the door to more desire and pleasure. Here's another little hint related to this. If you notice that you usually feel sex-inclined when you have an actual vacation or time off from work, and it's been a long time since you had those inclinations or a break, it could be a sign that chipping away at overwhelm is a smart next step. A book you might find helpful there is Burnout, the Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Are you a breakfast person? I love a good breakfast, but I'll be honest, I don't usually feel like making it myself. Lately, Magic Spoon has been really helping me there. It's a cereal that comes in four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and it's such a simple way to get plenty of protein at breakfast. It's also great for folks who have special dietary needs because of things like diabetes, a gluten intolerance, or a soy allergy. 
The flavors are fun to mix together, and you can add fresh fruit or a sweetener if you'd like. The cocoa flavor topped with sliced strawberries is the tastiest way I've tried so far. Head to magicspoon.com slash girlboner to grab a variety pack of your own and use the promo code girlboner at checkout to save $5. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Again, that's magicspoon.com slash girlboner and the code girlboner to save $5. This episode is supported by Athletic Greens. I've been adding AG1 to my smoothies, and it feels awesome to be proactive about my health, especially when I'm not getting as many fruits and veggies as I'd like. It has a mild tropical taste, and it provides a huge range of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and more, sourced from whole foods. It's even designed to promote better sleep quality and daytime alertness. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues, and he ended up on this complicated supplement routine for recovery that cost him $100 a day. To make things easy, Athletic Greens is offering you all a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just visit athleticgreens.com girlboner. Again, that's athleticgreens.com girlboner to quote, take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. As a side note, I always recommend checking with your doctor or dietitian before starting a supplement, especially if you have a medical condition or take other supplements. Learn more at the link in the show notes. Number three, delve into messages that you've gleaned about sex and desire. It's really easy, especially for people assigned female at birth, for these messages to get in the way of our boners. When I interviewed sex and relationship coach Pamela Joy for my book, she told me about her own desire challenges. She'd been married to her then-husband for 20 years. When she feared that their differences in libido, his higher, hers lower, would lead ultimately to the end of their relationship. Here are a few excerpts from her story, Reclaiming Desire. When I first met Pamela in person, I could almost hear Alicia Keys crooning, this girl is on fire. She has an inner glow that radiates all the way down to her vulva, as she will attest, but that wasn't always the case. She met her husband Paul in college and says she was totally that girl, one with little romantic experience who sets sexual boundaries pronto. I told him right away, listen, buddy, we're not having sex, she recalled. Then six months in, she told him she was ready. It wasn't until their dating life evolved into marriage, a long-term relationship with a steady routine, that she started to notice a consistent discrepancy between his and her libido, as well as an ongoing pattern of discussing it. Every six to 12 months or so, we'd have a conversation, she said. He wanted to have more sex. While their sexual infrequency didn't feel problematic for Pamela, it was for Paul, and that bothered her. Although she didn't recognize it at the time, she also felt ashamed for not fulfilling Paul's hopes or expectations, or matching up to depictions of sex and sexiness displayed in movies. 
As women, we're told the story to keep it in your pants until you meet Prince Charming. Then it should all just magically work, she said. What I realize now is I had kept it in my pants for so many years that it wasn't really reasonable for things to work once I met someone I cared about. At the same time, she wondered if this was how her sex life was supposed to be. Given societal messaging about gender roles and sex within married life, I can see why. With each sex frequency chat, the couple agreed to make changes. Proactive and problem-solving by nature, Pamela considered factors that may have been causing her drop in desire. Maybe it was the birth control she was using or her lack of career enjoyment. Maybe those had numbed her sexual appetite. Once they had a child, she told herself that desire would kick back in, you know, once he grew older. Perhaps she and Paul merely needed more time together, more vacations, more adventure. While their shared efforts to address these factors worked for a stint each time, they functioned more like band-aids than solutions. In time, they would end up back where they started with another talk and no definitive answers. After 15 years of this and yet another talk, Pamela began to wonder if their relationship was in jeopardy. Paul now laughs when he hears this. He couldn't imagine his commitment to their marriage wavering, especially over that. Even so, Pam was concerned enough to see her OBGYN, hoping for a medical solution. Once on the gynecologist's table, she didn't hesitate in broaching the subject. I have low libido. It's a problem in my relationship, she recalls stating, and was then stunned by her doctor's response. She said so, so many women have this issue and proceeded to tell me her own story. Feeling comforted and less alone, Pamela listened as the physician described her personal struggles with low sex drive, ending with, I really have nothing to offer you. Here's my therapist's name. Pam called that therapist and numerous others, only to realize she was even less alone than she had realized in her desire to resolve sexual problems. None of them had openings for new clients. That felt good, but the other part of me was like, what am I supposed to do, she recalled. With a bit of research online, Paul found a sex coach who seemed like a reasonable option. I'd never even heard of sex coaching. I looked at her website and was a little nervous to tell you the truth, Pam said. What was this experiential stuff, the coach mentioned. Would she have to have sex in her office? A phone call with the coach brought relief. They would not do anything she wasn't comfortable with and sessions would be fully clothed. In fact, sex wasn't even the initial focus. She was really focused on why I was feeling the way I was, Pam said. Cultural beliefs around whether women should be sexual or not came up in the first session. Together, they explored conflicting societal messages, like women should be sexy but not slutty. The coach also asked Pamela a poignant question. Did she want to have sex? She gave me full permission to be myself, Pamela said, which was powerful considering she had come in thinking something was wrong with her. It was so relieving to hear that I have a choice that I can choose. It opened the door to the possibility of change because change was not required. Today, Pamela understands her needs, how to communicate them, and how to ask for what she wants in and outside of the bedroom. Having embraced terms like needy and selfish, in a world that often expects women to take care of everyone but themselves. 
Pamela wants other women who feel somewhat disconnected sexually as she once did to know that positive change is an inside job and one you pursue not only for a partner, but most importantly, for yourself. Really take the time to get quiet and turn inward, she said. Look for that glimmer within and think, maybe that's what desire and aliveness looks like for me. Then she said, ask yourself what small step you can take to bump that up a bit. Our appetites for food can also play a role in whether or not we have an appetite for sex, which brings us to number four, stop dieting or skimping on food. Food is fuel for your body, your boners, and your brain, which is where all desire and arousal starts. It's really difficult to feel turned on when we are lacking energy or fighting food cravings and hunger pangs. If you are stuck in this loop, I have so much compassion and empathy for you. As you may know, I've been there, and I can tell you that the freedom on the other side is worth it for your whole life, your sex life included. In 2019, registered dietitian and author of The Eating Disorder Trap, Robin Goldberg, joined me to discuss this. I've talked to so many people about the ways that body shame and challenges in their sexuality and their ability to have pleasure in their lives seems to be so connected. What do you see as kind of the biggest tie between how we eat and whether we strict or whatever kinds of quote unquote food rules we follow and sexual empowerment? Well, you said a very important term before August, and that is pleasure. Just the the idea of deserving pleasure in one's life, whether it's deserving to enjoy a meal, deserving to go on a vacation, being able to have pleasurable conversations. Oftentimes, individuals I see in my private practice will say whatever body size they're in, they will feel like that right has been revoked because they have felt out of control, that the food has been running them as opposed to they're running the food. And and, and to respond to what you asked about just body shape or size, if an individual is restricting, if they're malnourished, does not matter how they look, then any kind of natural desire to seek pleasure has been abolished. So if a person is excluding a particular food group, that desire could lessen. They might feel like, oh, I have a lot going on in my life, so therefore... I'm not interested or I'm really tired, but eventually it becomes their norm. Their libido has essentially flatlined. The other part is if they're not consuming enough calories just for what their body requires to expend. You know, I'll hear clients say, well, I don't move my body. I'm not active. Well, if you're reading or writing or your body's always burning, it never stops. And the other part of it too is it becomes real when they eventually go to a physician for a physical and when their labs are drawn. So, you know, individuals I see that are not in menopause will say like, oh, you know, I'm not menstruating. I'm not sure why. And I don't have a desire for anything, whether it's sex, whether it's to go out with friends, to have cravings. Cravings are oftentimes suppressed on so many fronts that 
People don't realize like they want their estrogen level, whether you're 20 years old or 40 years old, to be greater than 100. So just the idea, you know, when I hear you speaking about the pleasure chest and all these types of things, it's like just, you know, you might as well. It doesn't occur to you, It doesn't occur. It's like you saying, I'm going to give you an all-paid trip to Paris. And someone's like, so? Versus if, yeah, bring it on. I'm so excited. And, And so any kind of desire and interest is just, they're like a dead fish. And many foods that play a helpful role in sexual health, like whole grains and fruits, are restricted in popular diet plans. The cells in your brain require twice as much energy as the cells in the rest of your body. And again, arousal starts in the brain. I loved this advice that Robin left us with. Allow your body to be your barometer. You know, our body is a brilliant machine, and unfortunately for many people, it's confused based on all the messages that we hear, really being able to pay attention to what do I like and how does it make my body feel, I think are two, you know, questions to ask ourselves each time that we're consuming food. If you aren't desiring sex lately and you want to want it, here's another question to ask yourself. Do you make your pleasure a priority in other areas of your life? That's number five. Prioritize pleasure in general. One of my favorite people to talk to about pleasure is sex therapist Jamila M. Dawson. You may recall that we wrote a book together called With Pleasure. And last year, I shared a conversation with Jamila in celebration of its release. And we touched on this idea. One of my favorite things to talk about when someone says that they are feeling like they've lost sexual desire or they are having trouble receiving sexual pleasure is the conversation around how does pleasure play into the rest of your life? I think it's so common, and I'd love to hear if this is your experience when you're working with clients, for people to kind of hyper-focus on this quote-unquote sex problem. Do you find that to to be something that comes up for folks? Yeah, all the time when they're struggling with sex, it, it becomes work. You know, this is America. And like, you, if you're going to do something, you have to be excellent at it. Like, I have to do good work. She said it takes people into a place where there is no pleasure or sense of restoration. It's just, I'm failing, they're failing, or we're failing. And nothing erotic or sexy can happen in that space. And that can shape how we conceptualize our sex lives. When that comes up during a therapy session, Jamila asks, How does pleasure and how does that kind of similar mindset show up in other places? Because it almost always does. The pressure and the intensity and the um, kind of uncompromising focus on this must work, good, bad, like it, it shows up in other parts of their life. And so it, it has been kind of counterintuitive for folks when they start asking about pleasure and other aspects of their life. And they're like, well, I came to you to talk about sex, like fix the sex thing. And I'm like, I am just not in the way that you <laughs> you're not broken. So we're not going to be fixing anything. We're going to be expanding things. And so I'll start asking them again, in some of these pleasure practices you and I have talked about of what are the scents that you like? What are the colors that bring you joy? What textures? How can you bump up your relationship to your body in other ways that we can then transfer over into your sex life? 
what are the expectations you have about your body, your partner's body, what sex is? Again, so many of us are still very, um, you know, that old programming about, you know, sex is orgasm and sex is penetration. That's not always helpful. Again, it can be so much more than that. How do we, again, slow down, go deep and expand moments that then become rich and one of your favorite words, luscious. Prioritizing pleasure in your life can take many forms and it does not have to take long. For you, maybe it's a 10-minute walk or a few minutes stretched out on the grass or looking up at the sky. Or maybe it's listening to your favorite song or smelling your favorite candle. If pleasure feels challenging for you, commit to one pleasurable thing, just one, if even for a few minutes most days. Even those seemingly small steps can go far, and sometimes they are the most impactful. And if you are really struggling with sex, pleasure, or mental health, please seek support. I promise you, you are not as alone as you might think, and you deserve all the care you want and need. One beautiful thing about struggling with feeling like you don't want sex enough or you wish you wanted to want sex is that it can be a kind of guidepost, one that shows us another area of our lives that could really use some attention. Speaking of pleasure and support, I recently attended a really amazing songwriting retreat led by folk legend Dar Williams. It was so much fun, and it inspired me to write some girl boner themed songs. I've started sharing some of them on Patreon, including my latest number, Here Comes the Liberati. Sharing my music in this way feels butterfliesy in fun ways. And if you're interested or you'd like to support the show, please join us. Learn more and sign up at patreon.com slash girlboner. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to give it a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That's the purple iPhone app or in the iTunes store. Thank you so much for listening.